This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, the Vietnam War in space! everyone, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review critique show that's putting the humanities back in science fiction. I am Gepwin, and I am joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dr. Izix. Hi! And this week we watched the original Star Trek episode called A Private Little War. Yes, but it was very public. Yeah, it was a quite public <laughs> private war. It's like, you know, I guess maybe like a private business, but anyway. <laughs> this is one that was written by Gene Roddenberry, but adapted from a story by Don Ingalls, who we've seen write some other things before. And, uh, if I recall uh, uh, reading some things, uh, Ingalls was like, yeah, Roddenberry just like got so much rewriting going on that I had to take my name off of it. <laughs> yeah, basically. Apparently, it was very explicitly more political in the original, and Roddenberry took out a lot of that, and it's probably why it doesn't make sense or hold together narratively. Yeah, it's, it's, I see what they're trying to do with it, but they just don't stick to landing. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> I sort of see what they're trying to do. I mean, I don't like what they're trying to do, but I guess I see what they're trying to do. Well, I, I think the, 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 the thing is... The so we've already established trope wise that Star Trek the original series is a very establishment show, so why not use that to actually a uh, uh, great effect by pointing out when the superheroes of the Enterprise here are actually kind of being the bad guys, and thus the establishment as is is kind of in the wrong here, you know, but it gets all muddled. Yeah, I get. I'm gonna say that that sounds like a very modern and generous reading. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very generous. <laughs> but uh, this, is, this is sort of like this is kind of the the vibe I'm feeling that there that someone was trying to do in this. But it, yeah, it's get all gets all muddled. But anyway, <laughs> possibly in the original, there are only really three major guest stars this episode the uh girl of the week is nancy kovac playing nona nona she was a model working in the 1960s and guest starred in basically every 60s tv show you've ever heard of including get smart yeah greatest spy show of all time except for maybe the prisoner so nona is playing the wife of Michael Whitley as Tyree. He's been in fewer things, but was in a lot of kind of serial westerns, like the Gunsmoke, Bonanza, and something called Daniel Boone. I wonder if that has something to do with Daniel Boone. It might. It's probably unrelated. You know, it's a different Daniel Boone. Daniel Boone, the tax accountant. They also have Booker Bradshaw in one of his two appearances as Dr. Umbanga. Oh, yeah. I was forgot he was in this. I think Bradshaw's history was interesting because apparently he worked as a manager for Motown Records for quite a while and uh, toured with the Supremes and the Temptations before going on to TV work. 
Nice. And was a prodigious TV writer as well, and wrote for shows including uh, the serialized Planet of the Apes, as well as being a guest star on many 60s and 70s TV shows. That's pretty sweet, actually. I'm looking at his uh, writer credits now, and uh, like, yeah, I remember some of these shows. Uh, I might not remember, like, you know, the specifics of that particular episode he wrote, but, uh, yeah, that's a good, good, good listing there. Also, finally, we have Ned Romero playing Krell, who's the Klingon. He doesn't have a lot of screen time, but I included him because I thought it was interesting that this week's Klingon was played by an opera singer. Yep. <laughs> Uh, so uh, maybe this is the origin of Klingon opera. Certainly. <laughs> um, he uh, ends up showing up in other Star Trek, uh, I believe. Uh, he's like Chakotay's granddad or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Not as Krell, of course, but you know. <laughs> that would be a very interesting plot twist on Chakotay. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Chakotay, but... Uh, you have Klingon ancestry um, that we didn't tell you about until some random episode in. Anyway. <laughs> Hi. This episode is actually has more stuff in it, so we should jump in. Despite it not holding together, a lot of things do happen. Yes, it is very actions-focused. We join McCoy as he is gathering plants on a unknown planet and talking to Kirk and Spock via communicator. Both are commenting on the remarkable nature of this planet, one which Kirk is apparently already familiar with from his days as a lieutenant. Yes, it's very Garden of Eden-like, they mention, despite it just looking like every Southern California sort of planet they've been to. Southern California, the Garden of Eden. <laughs> he was just commenting to Spock about how the people here live incredibly peaceful lives with uh, nothing more than bows and arrows for hunting when they encounter a group of men carrying flintlock rifles. Well, that's a little weird. The group sets up an ambush for a smaller hunting party that is indeed armed with the appropriate bows and arrows, and Kirk recognizes one of the men as Tyree, a friend he made on his previous expedition. Yeah, specifically one of the guys with the bows and arrows. So, if there's going to be a scalpel, he's probably going to be the loser one. Kirk is about to use his phaser to defend this new hunting party, but Spock reminds him that revealing their technology is explicitly forbidden. So he instead throws a large rock, startling the ambush into firing and alerting the hunters. So I guess they've uh, saved the friend and we can get out of here and uh, beam away without anyone uh, knowing we were here. Oh god, they're chasing us, aren't they? As Kirk and Spock are now targets and they run back towards McCoy to beam out, but before they can, Spock is shot in the back. Spock, no! Right through the middle of the uh, the back, like, like where you go through a human heart. Yes, they return to the ship. There's a new doctor named Mbanga, and he begins assisting because apparently he knows something about Vulcan physiology. Yes, because uh, McCoy has already sort of established he's, he's like kind of just halfway lost about Vulcans. So, you know, maybe it's like, uh, maybe I do need an expert. We got a, a Vulcan on board. We should maybe not let him die. Yeah, it's lucky they have a guy who interned on Vulcan, apparently. Yep. <laughs> apparently Spock stands an okay chance of living because the Vulcan heart is not, in fact, in the chest. But he is still very gravely injured. Yeah, it's like he got shot in the liver. <laughs> 
Before they can do anything, the bridge detects a Klingon ship entering orbit. They are able to hide from the Klingons, but they are now effectively cut off from contacting Starfleet for orders and are on their own. Hmm. Wait, wait a moment. Why are we hiding? I don't know. They say <laughs> that they all have a right to be there. Yeah, so if they all have a right to be... Why, why are they hiding? <laughs> Kirk believes that the Klingons may explain the presence of firearms on the planet because the Klingon Empire may be arming some of the inhabitants in a bid to take over. I mean, the locals couldn't have developed these on their own, could they? Apparently, maybe. The bridge crew have a very spirited debate about it, where they're like, well, why wouldn't they just give them lasers or something if they're arming them? They never... He just says, stop, shut up. Stop thinking about it. <laughs> We're going to hand wave this plot point away until later, I guess, sort of. Kirk decides that he and McCoy will beam back down, but they will not be able to stay in contact with the ship because they may need to break orbit and to stay concealed from the Klingons. Still doing the hiding thing. Yep. <laughs> so I could just beam down and then have the Enterprise pop out and say, hey, Klingon guys, what's up? Uh, didn't see you come in. What's, you know, what's, what, how's it hanging? Soon after they beam down, Kirk is attacked by a guy in a big white monkey suit. It's Mugatu. Yes, this is apparently something called a Mugatu, which is a large ape-like predator that is apparently extremely venomous. Yes, and um, he's shouting, obey my dog, obey my dog. It bites Kirk before McCoy can vaporize it with his phaser. McCoy tries to beam them up to get medical attention, but the Enterprise is gone. Being vaporized by McCoy is so hot right now. McCoy does his best to keep Kirk from dying, but he's in a very bad way. Just then, some of Tyree's people arrive, and McCoy is able to convince them to take Kirk back to their village for medical treatment. Yeah, uh, thankfully these are apparently peaceful people, and you know, they're not just going to murderize the, uh, the outsiders for no reason. So that, that works, I guess. We then see Tyree and his wife, Nona. She is a dark-haired tan woman who is dressed in a bra made from a large Muppet. Yep. Uh, alternatively, uh, uh, skinned Furbies. Yeah, one of them. <laughs> a weird, weird orange fuzz. Like, it's yes. not like it's white. Like, oh, it's Mugatu fur or whatever. Well, it's maybe an unnatural it, orange color. You know, maybe it's... Like a, 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 a hand-me-down, and it's just really, really old. Nora is trying to convince Tyree that they need to get some of their own guns in order to fend off the invading villagers, but Tyree wants to keep their peaceful ways. Oh, that's cool, Tyree. Uh, I can support that, you know. Uh, yeah, so uh, hopefully it doesn't get screwed up by the end of the episode. She uses some sort of herb to send Tyree into a weird, drugged-out lust fit and comments that this is also how she got him to marry her in the first place. So she might be a, a not-so-great person if she's drugging her way to power. Nah, I suppose that's what they're going for. Her entire- this character makes no sense. At all. Yeah. <laughs> Just then, the men from the camp arrive to tell them about Kirk. Nora runs off and tells them to bring Tyree when he's over his drug trip. He's really horny and very high right now. When he's done being one or both of those things, bring him back. Back in the cave, McCoy is heating up rocks with his phaser just so that Nora can walk in and see him and then demand that Tyree tell her who these men are with their magic weird tools before she saves Kirk. 
Yeah, because this, that, this is actually kind of a reasonable thing. It's like, these guys apparently have magic powers to heat up rocks. What's going on? <laughs> we get some side stuff about Spock still healing and how Nurse Chapel is all worried about it and being weird, but we get like five cuts back to that that are inconsequential, so we'll deal with that, that later when it's finished. It's kind of hilarious, actually. Anyway. <laughs> Nana enters the cave with a weird wiggly root. That McCoy comments upon, so is it a plant or an animal? It's moving, but it looks like a ginger root made of rubber. It's alien. There we go. <laughs> she cuts her hand and then smashes the root on Kirk's bite. She yells, her eyes roll back in her head, and then she, like, passes out. But then they discover that both her cut and Kirk's wound are gone. Hmm, this is some sort of miraculous healing thing. Perhaps you know, the Federation would be uh, interested in sending up a trade deal uh, and, uh, you know, and getting their hands on this sort of thing and we'll have a new miracle cure for everybody. No. No? Okay. <laughs> no. Yeah, they, they started saying that they were there to gather plants for medical research, but no. This is kind of the last hurrah for that subplot. <laughs> she then comments that now that she has healed Kirk... In this way, there is nothing that he can refuse her. Dun-dun-dun. Did, did Kirk just get married? Yeah, I guess. But he's already married to the Enterprise. Later on, Kirk wakes up and identifies Nona as a witch. What? Like, directly. What? Although um, she's one of the local witch people. Hmm. It's kind of uh, the witch doctor trope, I guess. This is getting kind of uncomfortable. I mean, she was very obviously being set up as, like, an evil, manipulative witch person. It's just interesting. It's like, oh, look, a witch. It's like, okay. <laughs> You're not being subtle. I'm genre savvy today. Ha ha. You couldn't get a pointy hat in there? A broomstick, maybe a black cat, you know. I guess they used their black cat in the other episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They all retire back to the cave to talk about the villagers and their new weapons. The village people are apparently gone militant. Apparently, according to Tyree, the villagers are making the guns themselves because he's seen it, but Kirk still wants to investigate. Nona enters and demands that they give them some of their super weapons so they can fight the villagers, and Kirk gives a not entirely horrible speech about how just as a man must grow and learn in his own time, People must grow and evolve at their own pace. All right, that's kind of reasonable. So, you know, so we're not just going to give you all the answers here, you know. You guys got to be able to, you know, you know, uh, work for it yourself, you know. They then leave to investigate the village. Kirk is able to easily incapacitate a guard that's holding muskets, so they steal one. Now they've got some muskets. Hooray, they got a musket and some phasers. So they're well on. Soon after... A Klingon arrives and tells the village leader about all of the cool technological improvements that they're going to make to their guns. Yes. You see, it wasn't just the villagers got their heads together and figured they could make these guns themselves. It actually was the evil Klingon plot. Kirk and McCoy find the forge and a lot of gun-making equipment that was very obviously not made in the village. Hmm. Too high quality of steel and such like. It seems somebody's arming these villagers. They have now proven Klingon interference. They do nothing with this information, by the way, but they've proven it. <laughs> so, so they have the their evidence. I guess this 
uh, lets them cover their ass if they're ever court-martialed over this whole thing. They're almost caught by the Klingon and some guards, but this is only so that they can have some tension cutting to commercial and they escape easily. <laughs> there's a brief moment where like uh, McCoy's tricorder like beeps and everyone's like, oh god, there's a scuffle, and then there's guys with guns, and then after the commercial break, they just punch the guys with the guns out and run. <laughs> so it's like, what? That was kind of pointless. Also, they should get put a silent mode on their equipment. Yes. <laughs> Everything beeps all the time. Beep, boop, beep, boop, boop, beep. We're back on the ship where Spock wakes up, asks the nurse chapel to slap him. She does because she was told to follow his instructions earlier. Uh, Scotty runs in and tries to stop her because crazy women, right? She must be doing crazy women things. Scotty, your character assassination is it's, it's ongoing. It's, it's, it pains me to see it. Just then, Mbanga runs in and also slaps Spock. Spock's better now. I'm suddenly reminded of that one scene from Airplane. It's like, yo, know, calm down. Slap, slap, slap. Uh, wait, hold up, hold up. Let me take care of this. You know, please calm down. Slap, slap. Uh, so apparently the thing is, Vulcans can heal themselves fine, but they need you to hit them really hard at the end so that they can wake up. And uh, it's like some sort of weird trance thing, and this like spurs them to uh, be aroused to full strength in a very short amount of time or something, I guess. Yeah, yeah it was dumb. Yeah. It was just dumb. <laughs> Excuse for somebody to slap Spock, I guess. Kirk is teaching Tyree and his men how to use the gun that they took from the village. McCoy does not like this at all. <laughs> Good on you, McCoy. He asks Kirk if he plans to start a war on this planet, and Kirk asks if he remembers the 20th century brush wars in Asia. So in other not words, thing. yes. I looked this up. It's not a thing. <laughs> and how two superpowers, not unlike the Federation and the Klingons, gave each side weapons in the conflict, and he argues that this was to maintain balance, because if either side got their hands on too good of weapons, humanity might have devolved into a massive world war and destroyed itself, so the only way to make sure this doesn't happen is to give both sides an equal amount of weapons so that war can be fair, because that's apparently the most important thing. Yeah, just make sure everyone's able to kill each other the exact same amount and everything will be great. McCoy, for some reason can't come up with a counter-argument. Like maybe, I don't know, get the villagers to come over here and, like, negotiate something? Maybe talk a little bit? Or maybe help convince the villagers that, you know, these Klingon guys are kind of no good and they're just kind of giving you the stuff so that they will, uh, be a, you'll become the foot soldiers in their war of tomorrow? You know, stuff like that. Ex expose the Klingon plot. Yeah. Beam all of the guns out of the village overnight. Mm -hmm. You know, when you have super advanced technology and then you just kind of don't use it when there's already people using a super advanced technology to uh, manipulate the situation, it's kind of... You're, you're, you're not playing with all your, your uh, uh, available tools here. But no, it's just, he keeps yelling, like, well, what would you do? And McCoy's goes, I don't know. Not that. I, I think this is why they, uh, they they got Spock shot there. So he couldn't be <laughs> there to talk sense into Kirk. <laughs> McCoy does point out that Tyree is a pacifist and won't fight, and therefore will be one of the first people to get killed in this stupid little war he's starting. Yeah. <laughs> 
Kirk decides that the best idea right now is to go stalk Nona, who was apparently taking a bath and wanders off topless for him to follow. All right, Kirk, um, don't make this too weird. She uses the herbs from before to get Kirk all turned on, but this, judging from past episodes, this is probably very unnecessary. Yes. <laughs> so, I guess my warning should have been for Nona there. <laughs> While Kirk is drugged up, Tyree sees them. He apparently thinks really hard about shooting him, but then throws his gun away and runs off. You know, Tyree, if you had shot Kirk, maybe this whole war thing wouldn't have happened. Just then, there's a Mugatu attack. Nona is almost killed by the thing awkwardly. She keeps, like, rolling out of the way. The, both of them are very obviously just waiting for the choreography to happen. Yeah, it's like, I'm going to be over here and you go there. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. Um, uh, the, the swing. <laughs> Kirk manages to fight through the drug haze long enough to shoot the thing with his phaser, but then Nona bashes him over the head with a rock and takes it. Hmm. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I, I invented the... The, the 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 space piano necktie. I invented it. Wait, wait. Sorry, I'm, I'm still channeling the Mugatu. McCoy and Tyree later come back and find Kirk knocked out. Discover that Nona took the phaser and follow her. Hmm. Hope she's up to yeah, not up to no good here. Nona, in the meantime, finds a gang of villagers who are on patrol with their muskets. She tries to use the phaser to get them to take her back to their village so she can join them and give their leader the new weapon, for reasons. Uh, they grab her. She doesn't shoot them for some reason. Uh, maybe. That we are never... It's not clear. Yeah. <laughs> like, I guess she's not supposed to know how to use it, maybe, but it's not... I have no idea what's going on in this scene. Yeah, it's a very point-and-click. Um, I mean, if a guy, you know, was like, was it, um, oh, uh, you know, I was sitting on the edge of forever where, like, the guy picks up a phaser and, like, vaporizes himself, right? Yeah. Yeah. If that guy could figure it out, you can figure it out, lady. Yeah. For some reason, she, she can't use the phaser. For who knows why. Yeah. <laughs> Tyree, Kirk, and McCoy show up. The villagers decide just to stab her. And then there's a fist fight. Uh, it's a, a long action scene where people are throwing punches, rocks are being picked up and used to hit people, that sort of thing. McCoy does briefly get shot, but he doesn't seem to mind. Yeah, yeah McCoy has too many hit points to really uh, yeah, care about that sort of thing. Kirk and Tyree obviously win, because they would. Yeah, well, why wouldn't they? Hero people, no. <laughs> the episode's almost over anyway. <laughs> yep. Tyree finds Nona is dead, and he swears revenge. Hey, your, 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 your drug pusher, I mean, wife, is, uh, is dead. Oh, no. My dealer. <laughs> he asks Kirk for as many guns as he can get. Yeah, Kirk's like, hmm, I'll have to consider this. Mm, sure. <laughs> Spock calls down, revealing that he is alive. Don't. No one could have imagined Spock would be still alive by the end of the episode. Oh my, what a twist. That's actually the only funny line in the episode. <laughs> it goes, oh my god, you lived. Like, that's a really illogical question. <laughs> Kirk asks them to send down a hundred flintlocks. Scotty asks for a clarification, and Kirk goes, send down a hundred serpents for the Garden of Eden. The end. 
So I'm guessing that Scotty figured out a way to make snakes. <laughs> well, he is kind of the most skilled person on the ship, so yes. <laughs> but uh, so the 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 message of this episode is that the Vietnam War and all other proxy wars between the U.S. and the USSR during the Cold War were great, yeah, and right. should have happened, and were the only way to prevent World War Three. And there was no other way to solve the problem at all. Yep. Yep. <laughs> what a crappy message. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna, you know, just have millions of people go off and die so we can maintain a balance of power because we 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 value balance of power over people's lives. Yep. Hooray. The only thing you can do, so the the general argument that was laid out by Kirk is that this planet's entire cultural evolution is based on the hill people who are Tyrese people and the village people singing YMCA mm -hmm. have an equilibrium of power that was not violent and was, in fact, a remarkable state of peace for generations. Yep. But the only way to maintain things on this planet is to maintain the balance of power, despite that maybe it's not going to be peaceful anymore. Like, just now it's just war instead of the peace thing. Yeah, is you know, that whole we-got-along-pretty-well sort of thing from before, that's just impossible now because reasons... Well, the, the other thing that got me was they they state several times that this planet was remarkably peaceful. Like, no no human-to-human -human conflict at all. they basically unimaginable. And the reason that this conflict is happening now is because the Klingon came to the village and taught them how fun killing people could be. Yes, uh, you know, murder is, 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 is a Klingon pastime, so you should enjoy it too. Let me show you how. Yeah, the village leader like, says, Oh, several of my people are seeing what you mean about it being enjoyable, and they're, they're getting like the thrill of the hunt, but better. Yeah, so you're going all the, uh, you know, the most dangerous game here. Hmm. hmm. Maybe there is something... A little off about your villager people before the Klingon showed up. If they're just coming, you know, fully uh, in on the oh, uh, murdering people is, is fun, guys. It would need to be like you can't. This this sort of thing wouldn't work. Yeah, <laughs> culture even culturally, you wouldn't go from something is unthinkable to oh, I really enjoy this. Yeah, there's there's just this amount of. Of what we call the like othering or dehumanizing in modern conflicts, we've talked about kind of the more origins of that before, mm -hmm. historically. But it, you don't just go in, you know, apparently under a year from fine, you know, partner trade relationship with no history of conflict ever to we can kill you for fun. Yeah, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Uh, and uh, it sort of also leaves out any sort of uh, sort of the side considerations on the villagers' part. It's like, okay, you now have this decided that it is is now fun to kill. 
So you're just going to kill all the uh, the hunter gatherer people just in general, I guess. And you know, you, you, they talk, do talk about they're sort of using it as you know a means to uh, basically take their stuff, uh, you know, you know, rob them blind, that sort of thing. Um, but at some point, you're going to be in this position where the people that you're basically abusing are all dead because of that whole we're now super happy murderer people. And so you're not going to have anyone to kill anymore. So there's kind of there's a, there's a little bit of a paradox there, but that's maybe a bit further down the road of insanity here. Um, but uh, the there is um, I lost my train of thought. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I get they get into these into a couple of crummy tropes here. Yeah, because they've they've fallen square into some noble savage ideas. That, you know, undeveloped peoples are just peaceful and live lives of harmony with each other and nature in these paradise places until big colonialist powers come in and mess everything up. You've gone from, you are perfect just as you are, and uh, and then now we have to, uh, you know, we have this slight bit of interference, so we have to interfere more until you are the right kind of interfered. Yeah, and it's this this kind of like weird infection idea of of this. Like they the reason that people aren't being violent towards each other is because it never occurred to them before, and then once it does, that's it. I know we've already said plainly this doesn't make any damn sense, but it is troubling that this is a, a a trope that keeps popping up over and over and over again uh you know much more during the 60s of course than you know than than, uh, than uh, you, know, you, you, might, you might think nowadays but it still pops up nowadays um but it is just this weird thing that we as a, as a culture sort of you know want to keep believing in that this is sort of how things go when you actually work with re- look at the world, uh, real world, and it, things are not nearly as quote clean cut, which you know, you know, is you, know, you can look at pretty much any society, and there's going to be people of all sorts of temperaments, all sorts of different motivations, different sort of wants as far as you know the the the, the individual wants and needs, and that's going to uh, create. Uh, a situation where there's basically never any situation where one person fits this ideal 100%. And so to sort of just blanket brush everybody with the same sort of characterizations, like everyone is 100% peaceful. It's, it's absurd. (laughs) Well, it fits everything into the individualistic ideas that they were and still are espousing in the U S especially. Uh, that you know, if if a society is peaceful, it's because every single individual is peaceful. The individual is what causes things to happen societally. So if an individual becomes violent, then the entire society becomes violent. Yeah. <laughs> you know the uh, you know the this one one bad egg means the entire group is now something completely different, and uh, lowest common denominator defines the whole group. Yeah, it also gets into sort of that inevitability argument of like, you know, 
every pacifism would work fine if everyone were pacifist but then you get the one guy with a gun in there and all of a sudden he's in charge and what's where's your pacifism now um the pacifists still outnumber the guy with the, with the gun by you know, a million to one in our situation let's say so they're just gonna ignore him <laughs> and sure he might hurt people uh and if he does so then people are going to be hurt and they're still and if they are 100 committed to pacifism then they're going to not try to hurt him back and that's just going to be how it is and maybe he'll get bored murdering people maybe he won't but that's sort of just going to be that dynamic that has to play out the, the, this narrative that they like to use for things like the Vietnam War, where it's just, you know, it's two opposing ideologies that are manipulating this one place. It's, it's just a very convenient way to simplify out the kind of broader geopolitical context that causes these sorts of things to begin with. Is you know, after World War II, all the major superpowers had kind of left the rest of the world in sort of a shambles. A little bit. Like, everybody was fighting everywhere, everyone. We were blowing stuff up willy-nilly. And then, all of a sudden, every country that wasn't one of the major superpowers that won the war was basically out of luck. A bit, yeah. So, of course, they're going to start going like, well... We need to, like, get help from one of these superpowers or maybe this communist idea of, you know, bringing in communal resources and stuff sounds like a thing to try. And so we'll, uh, we'll grab our particular uh, flag of interest and, uh, and uh, run with it and uh, they'll give us support and then we'll be able to uh, rebuild our society and uh, make all our, all our lives uh, more fantastic. And, oh no, there's another group that's maybe even our own, inside our own country here that is of a different... Uh, sort of bent and who they want to be as, as associated with and they have now ideas that you know we are an enemy and we have ideas that they're an enemy and we're kind of being used as pawns in the struggle between those major powers and this is just kind of all terribleness here and you know, you know there's there are there, there is and has been people they're like wow this is just awful let's just like sc say screw it to both these sides like try to forge your own path here uh, and, and so you even got like the, the, the quote the third world as as has a certain connotation in you know in sort of the, you know the current context but the the term was sort of put together as a we're basically the countries that don't want anything to do with the rest of you guys here because we see what you're doing with these guys with the, the folks in these particular countries these you know, areas and we're just not going to get involved here and we're going to hopefully not be your pawns didn't always work but that's kind of the you know the the the, the movement they were trying to go for uh because really being manipulated by uh, a massive power like this sucks but all the same the people that are you know get, that, that are willingly going along with it still see for themselves and their supporters and their uh their their their, their core power base benefits so we now have weapons in order to defend ourselves against the people of the different ideology over there. And we're now going to, you know, uh, make use of that. And eh, we might lose out in the end or might be victorious in the end. But for the time being, everything's fine. And I'm able to have my presidential palace. Yeah, I can see like 
three basic things they were trying to do with the narrative in this episode. Which I also get, because Roddenberry was in the military during World War II. So, I understand the anti-pacifist message that keeps popping up in this show. But, but, but remember, remember, Starfleet's not a military organization. <laughs> oh, no, of course not. Heaven forbid. So they did a big anti-pacifist push in this, both with the Klingon very easily teaching people to kill each other and then kind of the one pacifist character just like, well, you're definitely going to die. And then the entire thing at the end with the only reason he's a pacifist is because nothing has made him angry enough to want to kill people yet. Mm, yeah, it doesn't quite make any sense. Hmm. But the other two things are this... This weird mix of, one, explaining what the United States government was doing at the time as, like, we're just trying to maintain a balance and, you know, defend freedom but keep an equilibrium. We're not trying to actually take over anything. We're trying to just, you know, maintain the balance of power between the two superpowers, yada, da, da, da. But also, we feel so bad about it. Like, so bad. It's okay because all the people in power really regret these decisions that they're forced into, and look how bad they all feel. Yeah, I'm not buying it. <laughs> but you don't get, they didn't have any other choice. No choices at all. Like, Nixon was forced to continue Vietnam because this is the only option. I'm sure he was really sad. Yeah, he, he, he must have cried himself to bed every single night. For realsies. <clears throat> The other interesting one is I, I was doing some, some research on this, and it was hard to find particulars from something that was that long ago and such an outdated argument. That they, they seemed to be arguing against not interference, but basically not giving them nukes. The entire crux of their argument at the end was if you give the people you're supporting too much power, then they're going to start overrunning things and wipe out the whole planet. Sort of, uh, well, we're, you know, I guess sort of the, we are worried about your responsible use of this. Um, so we're only going to give you enough to endlessly toil uh, in a, uh, a, a war that's, is because the balance of power is by definition designed not to be won. Uh, and so that is apparently a better solution than a maybe you're going to destroy the planet. So the only thing that I can sort. particularly <laughs> think of as like the, the more reasonable argument they were trying to make would be like the small group of like, you know, I know there were groups of military advisors at this time period who were basically advocating dropping nukes on everything. Oh, yeah. Now, uh, that's some of the re reading I was doing about uh, Vietnam was like, yeah, there's people advocating for uh, dropping some nukes here. And then, you know, when, you know, the president's like, um, no, that would be stupid. Uh, then, you know, they have uh, like folks in like North Vietnam are like, hey, we hear from this person and that person that they were thinking about dropping nukes on us, so that gives more righteousness to our cause, and so you know, we need to be able to win here before they decide to go all in on that sort of thing. And I just, yeah, that sort of push is just generally a bad idea. 
Yeah, so I guess from I guess from that perspective, they think they're making a more reasonable argument here. We shouldn't give them nukes, we should just give them guns. It's still going to be murdering people. <laughs> it's just sort of the uh, the the, uh, the the level of scale here. Um and I guess to a certain extent if you're only going uh for, you know, sort of phaser technology here or whatever or um, or or the the mid- middle ground of machine guns, um you are in the scales being presented in this episode a machine gun is would basically be the the war is now over for the one side who had it and it would also not destroy the entire planet basically since you're dealing with such low level like things with this the thing that i didn't get like honestly like using this argument that they have that like you know the the planet's tainted now and the only thing we can do is try to prevent both sides from destroying each other utterly wouldn't the more like utilitarian way to think about this be we just use the ship to wipe out that one village where all the guns are yeah if you're going to be basically encourage a situation where a bunch of people are going to get murdered why not just Pull the trigger yourself. Why do you? Why does it have to be the the locals here that are doing it for you? I guess the argument is like that would lead to some sort of conflict with the Klingons, which is the whole thing we're supposed to be trying to avoid. Like, don't go to war with Russia. That would be really bad. So, just let other people kill each other. And in that case, they should have done a better job of that in the episode. <laughs> Tiny wars are better than the big war that will destroy the planet. I guess. Which. I prefer there not to be any war, honestly. Yeah, they never even talked about the, like, maybe we could, you know, get these people who have enjoyed generations of unprecedented peace to talk to each other and go back to what's obviously the natural state of equilibrium on this planet. Because, you know, that would actually make any sense and would be something that would, in a real-world situation, would be a very possible sort of thing. Unless you're dealing with alien psychology just so bizarrely different, but that doesn't seem to be what we're doing here. We're just using TV psychology, which is even worse. <laughs> the only other, like, the other thing that I get, like, this is a little bit nitpicky. Before, Like, there's two or three little, like, bad trope things that I don't feel like we can dive into hugely, but I want to mention later. But Giant monkeys? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and witchcraft and the... Uh, some bad messaging with the with the native shamanistic tradition thing there. Mm-hmm. That it's, there was a thing that bugged me anthropologically about this episode, and I get that it's a little bit nitpicky, but they all talked about them having flintlocks, and they're like, well, that's the natural next step of weaponry from bows and arrows. They could have developed that themselves because, <laughs> you know... Cultures go from bows and arrows to complicated flintlock rifles overnight. In fact, as that's the next that's the next thing you would invent, right? <laughs> it's an electronuclear magnet. It's the next logical step. <laughs> there's no, you know, there's no invention of gunpowder that you use for like, you know, ceremonial stuff, and then fireworks and rockets, which were way before 
firearms and then once you figure out some metal stuff you have cannons yes. because you know having a larger blast chamber is easier than tiny blast chambers and then you have the hand cannon fire stick which they used during the middle ages which was basically a small cannon on a stick and uh, a bit of a blast there some kick too which were like contemporary with crossbows because they were more just cool than anything else they worked way way worse than crossbows like, well, if it hits, which it probably won't, it's going to do a lot of damage, but you got to hit. So close combat only, pretty much. Yeah, and then just the other, you know, cultural technological advances that would lead to any of these things. Like, a bow is a hunting weapon. A crossbow is less of a hunting weapon. A crossbow is a mass-produced weapon that you can train people on easily for you know, military-style army warfare. Indeed. Same thing with guns. You probably wouldn't invent cannons in the first place, so you wouldn't get to guns. If, you all of, if all you're doing is using your weapons for hunting, you probably wouldn't get to firearms for quite a while. Because the cannons are for breaking down big pieces of masonry, like castles. Yeah. You sort, of, sort of need to be much further along in, like, uh, metalworking and metallurgy, that sort of thing. Uh, so that's like, oh, we can now sort of, we got, you know, our fireworks. Those are for our, 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 our ceremonies and displays and holidays and things like that. Um, but, um, you know, what if we like did a thing where we like fired out a thing from, uh, like a, a portable sort of device here and, you know, and then it's like, oh, then maybe we could put a thing in it that it fires that out and we could, uh, you know, hit something with it. It'll be like firing a bow. So we'll like design a special gun arrow that will fire from our, our our firework projectors here and then wait maybe an arrow doesn't work so well uh we'll we'll make it smaller more more, more metallic too hmm, there we go and then that'd be much further along because they had to skip the whole cannon step in the first place yeah but this is also looking at technology as this inevitable one thing leads to the other march of progress idea which i guess they really really loved during the modernist era yeah but it's the civilization tech tree <laughs> It's still ignoring all of the other sociopolitical things that would go into this because, you know, they invented gunpowder. You could invent gunpowder accidentally messing with chemicals, fine. But the reason that it started transitioning into weaponry was because where they invented it in China had been involved in a lot of small inner territory, you know, wars for a thousand years. And there's various... Uh rises and falls of dynasties and uh, split, you know, uh, uh, kingdoms, things like that. So, yeah, there's a little, little bit of strife uh, from time to time in China. Well, it's the same sort of feudalist land-grabbing idea that leads to you building large fortified defensive structures which you need siege weaponry to take on, which then leads you to use gunpowder in your siege weaponry. If you have a peaceful state that doesn't involve building large military defenses, you wouldn't naturally move from bows to, you know, gunpowder-powered siege engines. So yeah, there's there's a big gap here. <laughs> you wouldn't just randomly invent flitlocks. I guess this is also sort of, you know, okay, so so obviously the the Enterprise crew are idiots on this sort of front. Uh, I guess they they lost their historian when Khan showed up, so I guess that maybe explains it. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the... It is sort of maybe, you know, in, in sort of a speculative uh, sort of fashion, it's like, okay, now you have this new situation on the planet, and you got the two powers that are trying to interfere, and you also have 
you know the you know this sudden new kill uh, you know joy of killing for the one group and revenge based killing for the other group but also they a, a maybe a faction that's like just chill out guys and things like that it is I have so many questions as far as, okay, so where is this society going to evolve from here? Are they just going to kill each other and wipe each other out? Or is it going to actually be the, this is the balance of power and we're going to have two Koreas forever now because of his sort of thing? Or is this going to be something that would be generating something new? But we're not going to ever find this out. No. I mean, given what we saw on the thing, like, I guess they're both sides are just going to keep getting supplied weapons until everyone's dead. I'm having flashbacks to a re- episode of Red Dwarf now. <laughs> if you had to invent the weapons, then the villagers obviously win, because they're apparently the ones with the forge. But if you're just both being supplied weapons by an outside force, you're just both going to die because you don't need to worry about limited resources. So, there's an episode of Red Dwarf called Wax World. It's a planet that is populated entirely by androids, wax androids. So basically you got like, you know, wax mannequins and things like that, except they're androids, so they can move around. Um, and they're of all sorts of famous figures. And there's uh, technically three areas, but only two matter. Uh, one filled with all the greatest, quote, good figures in history. And in another area, uh, all the, quote, worst figures in history. So you would have like, Mother Teresa and Queen Victoria in the one place, and then, you know, uh, 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 Rasputin and Hitler in the other one here. And they're uh, facing off in a war before the, you know, the, 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 uh, the main characters even show up there. And so the, 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 quote, good people are like, we're losing because all our, you know, people that knew how to fight are already dead. Uh, and we're just like all the pacifists that are left over. And so one of the characters basically takes the Kirk role and is like, hmm, I'm going to help you figure this out. And we're going to have, we're going to take the, the you know, the fight to the other side and I'm going to teach you not, how not to be a pacifist. And this is kind of the episode where it's kind of clear that this particular character, Rimmer, is the bad guy. What <laughs> 100% in this episode, because guess how many uh, of the wax droids uh, on both sides make it to the end? Zero. Correct. <laughs> yeah, the uh, he he basically uses all the 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 folks that he you know the uh, the, the pacifists as a distraction while uh, uh one uh, I think it was uh, Queen Victoria is stuck inside the the the, the bad guys uh, compound and machines guns them down uh, and then you know, another character turns up the the, the heating out el- the the heat and the the bad guy palace which melts all the whack, uh, remaining wax droids the end so so that's how i feel this is going to end eventually for this planet <laughs> it's just gonna be all yeah. dead for no reason i think so because they destroyed the eden yeah like they do i think we should briefly mention how crummily they deal with kind of the shamanistic stuff with nona okay because she like, even just being a witch person character is kind of horrible to begin with. Playing her up as some weird, manipulative, drugged-up power broker person. So this is obviously someone who is wielding the the knowledge that they have and the, 
their 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 proficiency with using various chemicals and plants, things like that, to manipulate themselves into position of power, and then, and then what? <laughs> Just have power. I feel like the way that they dealt with her at the end, especially, is just this utter kind of, you know, modernist enlightenment sort of thinking disrespect for sorry, less Western style traditions, like people who understand the, the local plants and such and the old style healing things that we're actually going back to in some ways now because we're discovering through like science that a lot of the stuff we moved away from was maybe not a great idea to move away from. Like, wait a moment, these these remedies actually kind of work in this. You know, yeah. Some of them work. Some of the old home remedies seem to work well. I actually heard this thing a while ago that they are going, they're doing research on a lot of like really, really old remedies to try to like rediscover ancient antibiotics that maybe ha work again because the bacteria wouldn't have evolved resistances to them or would have unevolved those resistances they haven't been used in so long. So there's some very interesting stuff being done with that. Also, just kind of the idea of having a, you know, local person who understands things and is caring towards people or understanding how that comes more into the healing process than we previously thought or were ignoring, I suppose, because that seems very obvious if you think about it. It's like, oh, someone who actually cares about the patient. Well, that's a novel concept. So knows anything about them. <laughs> Not to get too much into some of that, because I obvious I honestly haven't read enough to speak too too much into that side of things, but the the way that they had her at the end of not being able to use the advanced technology and that getting her killed in this like new world order thing, I felt like was pretty crummy to have like this person knows the, you know, older ways of doing things and healing people and managing society and she just can't exist in this new world with technology and our modern s cool science stuff and thus she has to die for plot reasons yeah but also because she's a manipulative horrible woman star trek you're doing it again stop it which even <laughs> the kind of witch trope in western cultures is just was just this basically it was a woman who spent time studying or learning about local home remedies and taking care of people, but this gave her more power in the community than people liked. And so people became fearful and it's like, oh, you have to sort of turn your back on and you know, then we're going to persecute you and maybe murder you. Yeah, because you can't have, women can't have this, that any kind of actual power or influence. So being able to do this stuff, you have to be stigmatized for it because otherwise... You know, you become too respected or useful of a figure in the community. That, you know. And then, of course, they show her in this episode being evil and manipulative and drugging men. Oh, my God. She's like, oh, no. Like, directly drugging men. She's not even female wiling at them. She's roofing people. I'm going to rub this plant on you, and you're going to react weirdly towards it. It's, uh... I, I do have to wonder why why she's not affected. She's out of the antidote, I guess? Maybe? I, don't I know. guess. I don't know. Maybe I don't care as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, they want to use a trope, and they're using it haphazardly. Not they're not using it wisely, and that's sort of thing that happens a lot in in bad fiction, where it's like, okay, I want to have this idea, and 
maybe it's sort of kind of an iffy sort of thing to begin with. But even with iffy things, you can sort of redeploy them in a more sensible, careful, and you know, I don't want to say useful, but um, um, a more uh, constructive fashion. There we go. Uh, where it's like, okay, maybe there's somebody who has a, you know, is sort of doing this sort of thing, but maybe their motivations aren't just, I want more power. It's more of a, I don't, you know, maybe she doesn't trust the leaders of, of her, of the group there to make smart decisions. And so she's like, you know, kind of paranoid and it's like, yeah, I keep them drugged up in order to not let them screw up the situation, but this isn't working anymore. And so Kirk guy, um, Hey, um, help. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, it's sort of like, you know, very much not a, not a very good, you know, sort of, uh, core, you know, uh, you know, you know, uh, uh, technique tactic that she's uh, using in that, in that case, but it is less just sort of, I am doing it for the evil sort of thing, which is just ridiculous. Yeah. And they didn't use any of the stuff with her very well. They had that weird thing about how maybe Kirk's being controlled by her cause magic, yeah. but <laughs> then it turns out the thing he's doing is the thing he wanted to do all along anyway. Cause he enjoys colonizing and destroying planets, I guess. Yeah, we're doing it again, Kirk. So uh, when's that um, court-martial um, and maybe, I don't know, being sent to the Hague? Though interestingly, I did find a uh, an excerpt from a book earlier uh, called Exploring the Next Frontier by Matthew Wilhelm uh, Capel, mm-hmm. which is, uh, I guess the subtitle is very complicated and explains some of it. It's, it's Vietnam, NASA, Star Trek, and Utopia in 1960s and 70s American myth and history. <laughs> this might be very much on the, uh, on, the, on the money on this one here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it says that, that this episode, as well as the other, like, three sort of colonialist Vietnam uh, sort of episodes being, like, you know, Return of the Archons and Paradise... What was it? Paradise Planet? Yeah. This Side of Paradise? One wrong. This Side of Paradise. Um, the first two, it's, like, kind of represents an evolution of Star Trek's ideas of dealing with Vietnam as a concept. Mm-hmm. Because the, the earlier episodes, Kirk comes in, goes, what prime directive? This is mine now. Look how great we are for instilling our ideas and culture on this planet. Are we really even meant to live in paradise anyway? <laughs> and in this episode, he's doing that. But he goes, I'm sad about doing this. Yes, you know, I, I am losing paradise intentionally, but now I'm depressed. Yeah, that, so basically okay, they're I saying guess. that Ugh. giving it a generous benefit of the doubt, <laughs> it represents a slight changing in their thinking from, of course, colonialism is great and we should instill our American values in other places, to maybe this is an unfortunate inevitability that we just have to live with. You're, you're, you're on the right track. You just need to go a few more steps, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Whew>. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think as far as the Vietnam stuff uh, goes, uh, there's there's one thing, that, one more thing I want to sort of poke at there, and that's the how how the metaphor doesn't quite fit very well for a very important reason. The 
the the the the the guy Tyree, he's not horribly corrupt and incompetent. <laughs> so uh, in my you know some of my reading things like that about uh, uh, Vietnam specifically like before major U.S. intervention like before Gulf of Tonkin stuff here, uh, you know there was you know several attempts to try to uh, sort out the situation without it being a massive conflict or anything like that. It wasn't going super well, and there was sort of like, okay, we'll have like a vote where you'll where we have like the the, the communist guy and the you know uh, you know a uh, more conservative guy going up, and one of them will maybe become elected president of all of Vietnam, and that'll just sort of fix all the stuff, I guess. And there was you know uh, some pushes uh, actually from the U.S. that okay, we should probably have this be done with like UN observers and things like that. But uh, Soviet Union is like, I don't know about that. You guys are suggesting a thing. So maybe we should, I don't know, object to it. And so they end up going with uh, basically the locals are going to handle all the elections. So you got, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the Ho Chi Minh guy uh, up North got like 90% some, you know, uh, percent in Northern uh, parts of Vietnam and the the other guy, um, not even sure how to pronounce his name. I'm gonna call him DM. Um, getting you know s- similar percentages on you know the, the southern bit of uh, Vietnam, including like 133 percent in one area. <laughs> not 100 percent, over 100 percent of the vote. That sounds all legit and on board. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and so you had like the American, like, uh, people that were uh, assisting the, the guy in the South there. It's like, you know, that's maybe a little excessive. Like someone could maybe believe a 60 or, or uh, percent, uh, uh, win here, but that level, no, that, what doesn't make any sense, <laughs> but you know, he did it anyway. And yeah, then suddenly, you know, you got more, uh, more stringent divisions between North and South. And so that, you know, this was sort of the status quo for a little while with, you know, you know, uh, sort of ongoing conflicts and fighting that over time grew in more and more intense. So the U.S. got pulled in more directly. And that's how the whole uh, Vietnam stuff kind of got really kicked off. And uh, also the, the, uh, the U.S. guy was, as I said, kind of horribly corrupt. Uh, he didn't really have a very good handle on how to even run his own government. Uh, which, you know, I was like, oh, we're being attacked by the, the the communists here. I guess we should fight? Uh, we're not going to really do it very well or, like, have a plan, though. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> and so it's like, uh, the, you know, the, the, the you know, Americans like Eisenhower is like, do we really have to put up with this guy? <laughs> and and so it's sort of like, you know, you know, it's, you know it's like comparing it to this episode, it's like, the Tyree might be a pacifist and he has no interest in, you know, being in conflict here at all uh, from a very, like, this is just unthinkable to me sort of thing. And he is such a better person to be in charge of a, any sort of organization or group than what the real world counterparts were. Well, that's why they had to. <laughs> Kill his wife in front of him so he'd get mad enough to to be incompetent. Want revenge, I guess. <laughs> so uh, you're you're gonna be able to fight now. Um, uh, yeah. Are you incompetent too? Sure. Well, well we're not gonna show that part because that might help 
muddle the message that we're trying to sort of argue here. Hmm. That's just the continued <laughs> oversimplification stuff. Yeah. Because it's just like both of the powers in this are messing with people. Well, the Klingons seem to be messing with the planet just because. Yeah. Well, it's, it's sort of implied that they'll eventually become part of the Klingon Empire and this guy will be a governor or something like that. But yeah, it's. But why yeah. they need or want this planet, who knows? To, to stick it to the Federation, I guess. Um. <laughs> The Klingons don't really seem like guys that want to share power with a bunch of random planets. They're not really Federation builders. They're more conquerors. That's what they're sort of being portrayed at here and, you know, generally later uh, Star Trek as well. And the Federation has to unfortunately intervene to just prevent the Klingons from doing this bad thing, right? Because that's why you do stuff. That's why the U.S. was intervening in stuff, because the communists were doing a bad thing and we had to intervene to keep them from doing a bad don't think about it too hard, guys. <laughs> oh, I think I'm about done here. <laughs> yeah, I think we've been basically been beating the same drum with this one. Because it was, it was weird. Like, it's, it's a weird anachronistic argument to see. Yep. I will say that this episode disappointed me more than some other ones. Because yeah. it, it started out in a weird way with the weird action thing and Spock being shot and then the whole thing with Kirk having to get medicine man healed from his bite. Mm -hmm. But the middle, with, like Kirk and McCoy get into an actual debate and argument about values and the course of action they should be taking. Yeah, that and like, oh, means. this is getting into like real Star Trek. Yeah, so we, we got a moral dilemma. Let's see if we can figure out a good way to, to resolve this moral dilemma. No, fist fight. Nope. <laughs> they dropped the interesting discussion immediately. Yeah. <laughs> so halfway through, I was like, oh my God, is this where it starts being Star Trek? And then it didn't. Uh, that's, that's why I mentioned, you know, it's, it's kind of like weirdly specific that Spock was taken out of the core of the action here because, you know, he, him being there would change this dynamic so that, you know, you know he might be say prompted to offer up any alternative whatsoever well mccoy is just like i'm just a doctor i don't know what's what help what <laughs> and but yeah but, they, you know it's sort of story-wise that, that would be the sort of the, the makes sense but you know given that what we got that wouldn't have happened anyway but you know yeah they they very specifically said in in some stuff about the other earlier script that you know spock was on the planet for longer that he wasn't like killed or shot and removed anyway. And they more explicitly made it sort of a uh, Vietnam allegory. I think they, they even specifically said in the original script that the village leader was like a Ho Chi Minh type. <laughs> so for all, Roddenberry, I guess, was scared of doing a direct Vietnam thing. I guess you know, if you're worried about getting canceled, that'd be a concern, but... You know, if you're worried about getting canceled, go all in. I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm spiteful like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I just don't know the weird half the weird half measurey thing they did didn't work out. It it's this is rated as a bad episode overall. That's not like we're you know unique in this one. Well, I, I guess you know, sort of doing the the half-ass sort of messaging is kind of a Star Trek tradition. They've been much further along in the series, unfortunately. But, uh, well, we'll, maybe we'll touch on that more later. 
But it, since we're in danger of just retreading the same ground over and over and over, I think it's time for the galaxy's favorite game show! Hey everybody, welcome to the game show portion of the show. Our various contestants have been racking up a lot of points today, but not necessarily good points. We'll, we'll have to see how about that. <laughs> Our uh, first uh, contestants who have uh, won some prizes here, um, the first ones are, are going uh, to Kirk and Krell, the Klingon, the unnamed in the show, but has a name apparently. Uh, Klingon here. They get the Cold War Strategy Award for using our random plan of the week for as their proxy in a larger Klingon Federation conflict. What do they win, Kepwin? I think Kirk and Krell should win an older idea that's era-appropriate. A small room for them to just fight it out in. Well, they had a opportunity in the uh, the forge there, but Kirk decided to run away, so... Hmm. I, maybe we should get... Krell wins! By <laughs> 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 technical elimination. So I guess we should just handle the plan entirely. Excellent. You know, that will save people a lot of lives. Our uh, second uh, you know, uh, you know, contestant here, our, our th- third technically, uh, has won the Too Weird to Die Award, which is going to Spock because he got shot through the liver where the humans he keep their hearts and, you know, he needs to be slapped around before he, before he gets better. What does he win, Kepwin? Spock gets a very meta award, so I hope people have been paying attention to previous episodes. We're taking away the plot armor that we gave him last episode, because he obviously doesn't need plot armor. He has a plot metabolism. <laughs> He's just going to sort of go, for a while, in order to get over any injury. Oh. Our third award is the Monkey Business Award, which goes to the Mugatu, obviously. What does it win, Gapwin? The Mugatu wins a little monkey fez for his horn. Fezes are cool. Yeah, the, 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 I, I like critters with, with big horns and things like that. Anyway, <laughs> our final one is the What Prime Directive Award, which goes to Kirk and McCoy, also for obvious reasons. Well, they would get one. Kirk and McCoy get the It's Almost Star Trek Award. They almost did it. Had a little bit of a discussion. Also, stop making me like McCoy. He's a racist. Yep. <laughs> son of a... <laughs> Why'd you give him the reasonable argument? Uh, how about we uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, take something that was given to uh, Spock in the episode and, uh, and give it to those two? Nurse Chapel, would you please come over here, please? <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got, Gepwood. Take us away. <laughs> Thank you to all of our contestants. I hope you enjoy your prizes and dying in dumb international conflicts. And thank you all for joining us here on the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show! So, that was a thing. Yeah. I don't know if it gets any better. Well, we are getting to the latter portion of uh, seasons two of Star Trek, and then we have season three to look forward to. <clears throat> yeah, well, we're going to be on the 20th episode next time, which I think there's like 26 or some odd in this season. I can look that up really quickly if you give me some time to uh, load up web pages. Keep talking. <laughs> 
I have not heard of the next episode. Neither did I. At all. Uh, that can't be a good sign. It's either going to be boring, pointless, or confusing. At least given our track record here. Sometimes all three. So the next episode is called Return to Tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow. Which I was disappointed to learn it does not seem to be a time travel episode. Why not? I don't know. It's something about Kirk and Spock being taken over by an alien intelligence and forced to build androids for it. Androids, everybody hanging, uh, hugging dance droids. Sorry about that. Anyway, <laughs> there's 26 episodes in season two. So we are, uh, uh, next one will be uh, episode 20. Yes, yes, yes. All right, getting close then. So uh, what do we got to look forward to here? Uh, we got uh, Patterns of Force, uh, which is the one with the, the, the Nazi planet um, by any other name, which I've never heard of. Yubega Glory, which uh, may also involve some sort of, I don't know, Americanism or something. The Ultimate Computer, which I think involves the Daystr- uh, Mr. Daystrom. Um, Bread and Circuses, which I've never heard of. And a silent is Earth, the, which is time travel. Ooh, is Bread and Circuses the Roman planet? Um, maybe. Guess uh, yeah. There's gladiatorial games. Yeah, so so that's probably the Roman planet. And then uh, sounds likely. And then uh, at the beginning of season two, guess what we got there? What I forget season two or season three. Um, the uh, the first episode of season three, which is you know just so many episodes going on over in the future here. Is Spock's brain. Oh, goody. <laughs> that's what they opened with. Yes. Huh? <laughs> so, that's our uh, our future here. It looks looking pretty Fine. bleak. Great. Yep. <laughs> Sorry I depressed you, Gepwin. Sorry I depressed you, audience. Um, I'll, I'll try to behave in the future. Anyway, next episode is for some reason not time travel. Should be. <laughs> yeah it really should be I don't know why it wouldn't be why wouldn't it be hmm. tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> well uh, uh, maybe we can make some jokes about how it's similar to the name of our own show that's true well, you can find out what on earth they're doing with building androids I guess next week on Watchers of Tomorrow next time on Watchers of Tomorrow Looking for a body to occupy, must have cable. You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. 
If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists.